0: Amen, amen. Well, guys, grab hold of a Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke tonight. Got a Bible? I hope you do. Make your way to Luke 14. Journeying through the Gospels together, journeying through the Bible together on Wednesday night at about a chapter uh, speed. And so tonight, wanting to cover all of this, longing that God would meet you in it. So again, hopefully you got a Bible, uh, whether you know physically or electronically, both work. Uh, if you're online, we invite you to the same thing. Please connect fully, just grab a Bible, follow along. And then in the midst of this, may may you both understand it. But may God speak to each of us. Let's take a moment and just ask Him for that. We do this each time and not an unimportant space. Just to admit right now, what we need is God to take His Word and make it just real to you and me so that we hear His voice tonight. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank You for this opportunity. Thank You for the power of Your Word. Now, Lord, help it to connect. I know the problem is not your word. I know the problem is not your faithfulness. I know the problem is not your intention. All of those things stand firm. The the weak link right now is us. So many things could make it so that we don't listen, uh, whether it's physically, emotionally, whether there's just something that has us separated from you spiritually. And so many things could create space where we miss hearing your voice tonight. Lord, I'm asking for your help. I'm asking that you would cause us to hear, that you would break through into our lives and that in the midst of this evening, by the power of your spirit, God, speak to each one of us. Give us ears to hear what you have for us tonight. We pray for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, they invited him for dinner. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing, but yeah, that's where we come to in Luke chapter 14. Jesus was invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. Oh, you might just notice with me how it begins. Verse one says, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. Pause there for a moment. It's an interesting thing. Jesus was invited somehow to come to this Pharisee's house for dinner. Others seem to be there. Lots of speculation about this. Maybe, maybe they were trying to trap Jesus the Pharisees have been developing an adversarial relationship with Jesus. That said, Jesus has really avoided that. He's been really good about not allowing him, them to trap him in such a thing. So I would put before you that it's different than that, that maybe they really are curious. Maybe somehow in the midst of it, this, this ruler of the synagogue is like, I, I want to hear from him myself. And one of the amazing things is Jesus goes. Jesus goes to sit down and have dinner at a Pharisee's house, and in the midst of that, to speak to them, and all by itself—that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to happen because much of this, chapter's happen, this chapter happens around that dinner table. As they're sitting there, they're having conversation, and Jesus shares. But what's interesting about this is he is, well, very precise. He very specifically speaks some confronting words. He speaks to them in a way that's not just, you know, kind of, you know, soaking into the moment, but into their lives, he warns them and begins to speak about some serious things. And I want you to kind of feel that. I wish you could almost just imagine it. Again, almost imagine, again, a, a dinner table and Jesus and, 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 you know, the Pharisees there and in the midst of it, him speaking into them. Now, to that, I want to put to you a thought. Now, again, this is maybe opinion, so you can kind of lean into it one way or not. But I think in many ways, we're looking at those that I'm going to call them observers. Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily looking for a confrontation, but neither are they really fully, you know, interested in being following. They're kind of in a place of just wanting to listen to Jesus. And in the midst of that, that kind of really makes sense as we hear what Jesus begins to speak to them. The things that begin to happen is Jesus begins to very clearly and confrontively, but graciously, speak to these. So God give us help to hear it and even hear what's being said. So let's go back and read it again. Verse 1. Now it happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful? To heal on the Sabbath, but they kept silent. and he took him and healed him and let him go. And when he answered them saying, "Which of you having a donkey or an ox has fought, that had fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Well, much that's here, but again kind of is just an overview. We watch this and in many ways we're going to find what I'm going to call kind of a critical folly meaning this, they're watching him. You saw it, right? It says at the end of verse 1, they watched him closely. The word is an interesting one because it has the idea of, you know, again, paying sharp attention, but it's not, it's, it's a word that has the idea of paying sharp attention kind of critically, not actually interestedly. You know what I mean by this, but we just need to kind of think about it for a moment. It could be that they're setting Jesus up, that all of this was a trap to to entrap Jesus. Some really feel that way. Or it could be, again, that they're curious, but their curiosity isn't really interested. They are in that space of being an observer where they're almost just watching him. Like, so what's he going to do? How is he going to handle this? How is he going to do this? But it's not a real space of honestly listening. Now, here's my hope. My hope is that in this room, and in our overflow, and watching online, that that doesn't include anybody. And you know what? It really might not. I mean, maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you're watching tonight, and you're in the midst of this space, and honestly, you're in a space of God, like, I want to hear, like, I want to know what God has to say, and, you know, certainly wanting to grow in His Word, and hopefully, in some measure, that's where you are. But if you're in this space, it's that kind of place where somebody came to church, or watching online, but in essence, their arms are crossed, already convinced, not really actually interested in what they have to say, but kind of just curious. So what is he going to say? What's he going to say about that? But not in a sense of just honestly interested in it. That seems to be where they are. Now, into the midst of that, Jesus does this amazing thing. We find this man who has dropsy, which has the idea of, of fluid many times building up in the, often the, the body, many times in the face. And so, you know, kind of would have been there. Maybe he's a plant or maybe not. Again, we don't have any idea. Maybe it was related. Maybe it's like, maybe a brother or someone in the family and they're just there and Jesus just looks over at him, sees this man with this condition and he just heals him. I mean, it's an amazing space as he steps into this. he, He sees this, he talks to him about it. And in verse four, again, it says, he took him and he healed him and let him go. Beautiful kind of thing. I mean, it wasn't as if anybody asked him, he just sees it and it's a gracious thing where Jesus very tenderly, wonderfully brings a healing that probably all of them recognized. Well, again, much that's happening there, but maybe one of the keys for us is the word answer. Yeah, it's used three times in these few verses, so you might just pay attention to it. So you go back again in verse 1, it says, you know, they're watching him closely, and there's this man with dropsy in verse 2. And then it's interesting how it says it in verse 3. And Jesus answering. Spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees. Answering? Yet yeah, they didn't ask him a question. They, 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 they weren't, at, they didn't, they, they, they were just being critical. They were just watching him. And so he sees what's happening, so he answers. He answers not their words, but their hearts. And he just begins to reason with them. So is this wrong? Is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? He just had this conversation with them in the last chapter. In fact, he reasons with them in the same way. He says, well, which of you wouldn't take care of your own animal? I mean, you hypocrites! I mean, you—you know—you you care more for your animals than you almost do for people. It's a dangerous thing in any generation, and yet he looks on that and yet reasons with them and calls them to see how wrong this is. But again, it's this fascinating thing because he asks them that question in verse three again. He just answers and says, "Is this lawful to, to do?" And you notice what they say—nothing. Yeah, verse four. But they kept silent. So they're just like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not just, I don't have anything to say there. But once more, verse five, then he answered. Answered what? Their silence. Again, they're not talking. He is, but he's actually addressing where they are, addressing even what's happening. He says, you guys, which if you have a donkey or an ox, it's fallen into pit, you'll immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. I mean, and he just graciously and powerfully reasons with them. And what makes it so powerful is the way it tells us of their response. It says, and when they could answer him, when they could not answer him regarding these things, he answered them, but they couldn't answer him. And there's something powerful happening in this moment where he's addressing kind of where they are, where it leaves them somehow without any any bearing, without any like, okay, we don't even know what to say to this. We don't don't even know where to go with this, but it's a powerful moment where once more, I think. Jesus is dealing with a lot of layers. There's a lot of stuff there, but in the midst of it, he's addressing even just the way they're approaching this so that it kind of devastates that. It kind of devastates even the criticalness of right where they were. Well, there's more there that you can dive into, but once more, it's where he is. Having said that, that in many ways kind of gives us an overview of where this is, where they're kind of being critical, and he's addressed that. It tells us there in verse 7 that he told a parable to those who are invited, when he noted how they chose the best places. So he's there, and he begins to address something that, well, we'll just say it's the problem of pride. It's where we're going to go with this. We notice what's happening. In the midst of us. he's there, and it tells us exactly what Jesus is noting. They're there, and they just begin seeking the very best spaces. In that culture, more than in ours, where you sat, even at a table, communicated your worth and your value communicated your, your worth as a, as a person or your worth to that person. So each space spoke something. And so when they got there, Jesus noted everybody was like kind of, you know, kind of vying for the best seats to, to be seen as more important or more valuable. And so Jesus tells them a story. He tells, he tells them a parable. He says, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And and he who invited you and him come to you and say, give place to this man. And when you begin with shame to take the lowest place, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. It's a pretty interesting story. Again, culturally, it's a little bit hard for us to get totally there. Wedding feast even more so than a regular dinner table. What we know about this is every spot communicated value. Every spot, you know, just where you sat, you know, communicated both your worth to the family and their sense of your importance. And so he just imagines, I mean, you kind of, you get it, right? He says, So you go there and what if you sit yourself down in a really important spot? And then the master comes in and looks at you and goes, Mm, sorry, you know, you are not, (laughs) you know, and you, he has to ask you to move to take a lower space because somebody's more important than you are. It's embarrassing. He says, how, you know, you would look at this, he said, with shame, you're going to like, you know, you know, that walk of shame kind of moving from the higher place to the lowest place. He says, I want you to do this differently. You should take the lowest place so that when he comes in, he looks at you and says, what are you doing in this low spot? You're important to me. You're valuable, and He moves you up, and He calls us to this place because He's noting in them what's taking place, and then He locks down the principle for us. It says in verse 11, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It says whoever kind of lifts themselves up, then, then God's gonna, they're going to have to be humbled, but if you will humble yourself, then you will be exalted. Now, This is so incredibly powerful and honest that we just don't have time to dive in deep. But if you were with us a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, we talked about it through Nebuchadnezzar. We actually called that message the problem of pride. And we talked about just that whole space that pride is is not just a small issue, it's a huge issue in our lives. And God literally tells us this is what he does. He says, if you lift yourself up, then I have to resist you. Nebuchadnezzar would tell us at the end of, of his testimony, "Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down." Like you, do, I mean he will deal with you. But if you humble yourself, if you will come into this place of, of, of humbling yourself, then God exalts. And I want to tell you, he's not just talking about a social grace here. He's not just teaching these guys' manners he's talking about something that's absolutely fundamental, that what he sees in there is who they are. They're they're in this place of, you know, looking for position, looking for popularity. Instead of saying, hey, you know, that I should be the one that that approaches this humbly, which is, of course, what Jesus did. You know, he said he came and he humbled himself, that he took on the the form of a servant, that he gave his life for us, and he calls us in that sense to the very same thing. And in the midst of that, Again, Jesus very clearly points that out. Now, I just want to tell you, if you're not already there, it's a different dinner conversation than they probably expected. I mean, when they invited Jesus to the table, I'm not sure what they thought. You know, maybe he would just tell them some stories or kind of tell them his background. Instead, he is you know, he's dealt with things that they weren't even, you know, just answering kind of where they are, their criticalness. He's pointing out pride in the midst of them, even that's just very obvious in the room. I mean, it had to be that way. It's like, okay, well, that's, he just watched us do this. And yet it's so much more than that, showing really, again, the problem that was taking place. Now, it's with that, that he adds one other little nugget that some would include into the same story. But it says there in verse 12, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers, your relatives, rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Jesus begins to expose what I just want to call maybe a false benevolence. That's really what's happening here, and you just kind of need to understand this. He's addressing that, this place of when you're trying to do something for other people. Now, it would seem, just kind of reading between the lines, That's what this is. That somehow this Pharisee has invited people, you know, into his home. This is his act of of kindness, uh, of you know, feeding people and inviting them in into the midst of that. And so Jesus is one of those that's been invited in, probably others as well. And so Jesus is speaking to the one who invited him. Again, very clearly, verse 12. He also said to him who had invited him, the man who invited Jesus for dinner. He says, When you do this. When you're going to give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you you back and you be repaid. Jesus is not saying, by the way, that it's wrong to have dinner with your relatives. (laughs) He's not saying it's wrong to have dinner with your friends. That's not the point. He is talking about kindness. He is talking about benevolence. He says, you know, don't share only so people will share back with you. What good is that? I mean, if you, you know, consider yourself a very, well, yeah, I invite people over to my home, but they're the same people who invite me back. They're the same people who, who do They He says, no, you should do things for people that will never be able to repay you, that you'll get nothing back from that. If you really are wanting to do what you're doing here, if you're really wanting to walk in this kindness, then you should go out, he says, but when you give a feast, verse 13, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, he says, because they cannot repay you. You shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He calls them in a way of living that is in that sense, not just doing it for appreciation or honor or any of that, but share with those who can't give back, with those who can't return, and their reward would then be an eternal reward. It's a different way of doing life. And once more, he's not just teaching values. He's not just teaching good manners. That's the problem. As he's looking at these people that he's addressing, this kind of in many ways is their problem. They're on the outside looking in. Critical, but not actually interested. Trying to be prideful, trying to prove themselves, trying to look like they're nice people, But none of it's actually genuine. It's not, you know, their pride is there. They're even, whatever good things they did, they did for what would be honor and esteem and people's appreciation out of that. And in many ways, it finds them in a difficult place. Well, it's right there where he explains this. And he just finished telling them, hey, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just." And somebody else speaks up at the dinner. Verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's kind of a funny thing. I mean, just got kind of to almost imagine the scene. You know, maybe, maybe he's like, change the subject. I'm not even sure, you know. Uh, you know, maybe he's like, hey, this would be, or maybe he just wants to kind of say, hey, I'm in this, you know. Hey, that's going to be great, you know, in the kingdom of God. You know, but Jesus launches right into it. And he said, you know, this to him. He said, when one of us who said that, verse 16, then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at the time to say to those who are invited, Come, for all those things are now ready. But they with all one accord began to make excuses. Jesus begins to really dive in deeper and talk to them about this place where they have what I'm going to call our excluding excuses, where they're living in a space that is really this, this place where, where in many ways this is keeping them from everything. And, and so Jesus tells them a parable. It's again another story. So he says, okay, well, he says a certain man gave a great supper. So he's got this you know, massive banquet. He's inviting a lot of people. He sends his servant at supper time to say to those who are invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they with one accord began to make excuses. All of those who are actually being invited began to excuse themselves from actually responding to the invitation. And he gives us some examples. This is the first said to him in the middle of verse 18, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them, and I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The the servant said to the master, it is done as you commanded. Still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. So you can feel the story, at least I hope so, and I hope you can hear behind the story the real story. The real story of the, almost what we would say, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This God inviting just people into relationship with Him, into salvation His Son. And He sends out the invitation like it's time. It's here. This is the space, which is exactly what has happened. To these who were religious people, who were Pharisees, who said that they were interested in the things of God, Jesus has come and said, it's time. Kingdom of God is here. (laughs) This This is the space. This is the place to come. And they make excuses. They begin to excuse themselves and uh, they begin to, you know, find themselves not obeying, not stepping into it through that. Now, out of that, Jesus tells the story that the the master sends his servants out to compel and invite everybody else to come in. And there's a powerful picture because that's exactly what happened. That in many ways, the Jews who were supposed to be God's people, who were supposed to hear this, who should have responded, didn't. Instead, the gospel now goes to the world. It goes out into all the places. He says, go out and invite everybody else who will come. Anybody who will come. Go out and invite the poor, the maimed, the lame. I mean, there's just not anybody who's going to be excluded from this invitation. He says, compel them. Go out into the hedges and highways because I want my, my banquet to be filled. It's exactly the heart of God. It's exactly the heart that he has even right now in our world. He's like saying, hey, pleading with, with people to come in and by the grace of God, hey, that's many things that are happening to us, that, that, that that's exactly what's going to be there. And yet here's again this warning. He says, for I say to you that none of those men who are invited will taste my supper. That those who should have responded to the invitation didn't. Those who should have been a part of it, they, in, they were invited, but they miss it all because of an excuse. Well, this is where we need to dive in just for a moment. God, give me help to say this in a better way than I feel like I can say it. I'm, I'm looking for good words or or ways to say it. Excuses are so dangerous because an excuse lets you say no without actually saying no. Excuse lets you refuse without actually being refusable, without actually saying no to him. It, it allowed these to say well, you know, it's just not a good space, not a good time, good other things happening in my, in my world right now. And out of that, that's where Jesus describes where they are. That they, instead of, they're not saying no to the gospel or no to Jesus, they're just, you know, I have other things. There's other spaces in there. I think the, the old adage is that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. In many ways, it becomes just that reality of, of looking on this thing and yet that becomes one of the scariest of things. That he's looking at these people and saying, here's where they are. It's not that they're saying no, but they're just saying, well, you know, I, just, it's not a good space for me right now. Got something going on. Bought some property. I have things to do. friend just got married. It's not a good space in my life. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying no. And he says they're never going to make it. They're, they're never going to be a part of that kingdom. And that becomes this incredibly sad and Incredibly scary thing. Now, again, I'm telling you right now that when Jesus is speaking this, he's speaking it to those who are rejecting him. In fact, it lies into this whole place where we're looking at those who are in this whole place of observing, not really watching, and Jesus is dealing with them. Now, that could be you this evening. I mean, it might even be you in this room. It might be you online right now that in one sense, you're not a follower of Jesus. And it's a weird space because you're not saying no. It's not that you're saying boy, I'm not interested in salvation. I'm not interested in going to heaven. Boy, I'm not, you're not saying that, you're just saying, it's not really good for me right now. Boy, there's just other things in my life, um, maybe later, you know, um, but, but in many ways, it becomes this place where you can refuse, and even though you are refusing, can find yourself almost in, in some place, not really saying, well, you know, it's not that I'm saying no, but you're, you're missing everything. And that's a scary place as Jesus is sitting at this table with these people. He's speaking this in such a powerful way that he's telling them, hey, this is where you are. I mean, there is a kingdom of God. There are those who are going to partake in the wedding supper of the Lamb, the kingdom of God, which is what the guy said, hey, it's going to be great to eat bread in those days. He's like, well, it'd be great if you're going to be there. But for so many of you, you've missed out on it because you won't, you won't respond to the invitation. You won't respond to that place of coming in there. And so I speak it as kindly as I can right now. Hey, if this is you, hear it from Jesus. If this is you, you're just almost there, you're almost saved, but you're kind of on the outside looking in, it's a space that he would invite you in. Well, again, it's an amazing thing. Again, I have so much more I could say. I try to imagine this. And so, again, I'm kind of just that fly on the wall, just kind of thinking this was a different dinner than they had any idea was going to happen you know, this is, this is not the kind of conversations, I mean, it's got pointed, it's been very confrontive, but lovingly confrontive. Jesus hasn't been mean, but at the same point, He has spoken the truth in love saying, hey, this is your problem. I mean, you're critical, you're prideful, you know, you're doing things just for show, and, and your own excuses are keeping you out of the kingdom of God. Well, it's interesting because right out of that, it launches into the next verse. In verse 25, it says, and great multitudes went with them. And he turned and he said to them. So now we change gears. We were speaking to observers. Now we're speaking to followers. Now, again, it's an interesting thing. Was there a direct connection? Did he leave this home and all of a sudden people were just, you know, were were their followers? Was there some sense that out of this they saw the way he dealt with the Pharisees? And now they're looking at those who, you know, they're not being observers following, maybe? Or maybe the Holy Spirit just put it here. that reason, because there's a definite connection to what we're about to read, to what we just read, but the address is different. Again, in the first part of the chapter, we were talking to those who are watching, but not actually interested, observers, but not participators. Now we're talking to the multitudes that are with him, to those who are saying, hey, Jesus, we're in. We want to follow you. We want to be a part of this. And Jesus now turns and speaks to them. And he says it this way in verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, and in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow. In many ways, to, trying to be simplistic about it, Jesus is going to invite these who are following him to be all in to be those who follow him absolutely entirely. That that becomes an incredible necessity. And yet the words that he used are powerful. I mean, they should be powerful, even in our eyes, penetrating this idea. But if you can track with it, it's the exact opposite of those who made excuses. Those who were excusing and not answering, he's saying, this is why because you need to be those who what? Well, he says, here's the first thing. If anyone comes to me and he doesn't hate his father or mother, wife, and children, brothers and sister, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciples. And he calls us in this place that God has to be above that. Now, you guys probably know this, so just allow me to spend just a quick moment on it. He's not actually asking us to hate people. He's not saying, I want you to hate your wife and I want you to hate your children. No, the truth is the gospel has an incredible, you know, rejuvenating effect. It blesses families. It blesses marriages. That we become more loving and we are called to that. He's not calling us to actual hate, but in comparison. That the love that we have for him should be so great, the devotion we have to him would be so great that everything else would be considered bland next to it. That we'd be considered hate next to it. And I just want to tell you, that's needed. Well, Jim, why is it needed? Because of what we just saw. Because there would be people who would say, well, you know, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, but I just got married. (laughs) I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, but my family. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, but, and if you've put something else above that, it will hinder you from following. It'll hinder you from being with him. So he looks at us and says, hey, Jesus got to be above all that. Now, this is radical. I mean, I don't know if you can even think this through with me for a moment, but this is is a wild statement. Like, you're going to have to love, you're going to have to put me above everything else. I mean, Jesus is either who he says he is, the God of the universe and and the life itself to us, or this would be so weird to have ever been said, but he is. And he's saying, okay, if you're going to follow me, then then everything else, God's going to have to be above and first and beyond all that's there. In fact, he says it this way. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is is how Jesus dies. It's an instrument of death. You guys know that. Our problem is that it's become kind of decoration for us. And so, you know, we think about, so you mean I need to have a cross on my t-shirt? You know, I got to have a cross sticker on my car. You know, what is this actually saying? You know, to bear your cross, they understood what it meant. To bear your cross is what Jesus did. When he carried at least part of the cross to to his grave. It's the idea of being willing to say, hey, I'm all in, even to death. Like, you know, I'll carry my cross. I, I, I'm i going to, you know, be a follower of Jesus, you know, no matter what. I mean, to the end of my life, to, to the extent I'm willing to die for this, is what he's saying, that this desire to be a follower of Jesus would be that serious. Now, as he says all that, he just speaks to us and says, well, Verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, is not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions to peace. Simplistically, he's saying, hey, count the costs. I mean, are you willing? I mean, it's this amazing reality that Jesus presents a gospel and he presents a a call to follow him that sometimes sounds so wildly challenging that many people think, man, you're going to chase everybody else away. He says, you know what? Hey, I'm telling you what this is. I'm telling you what Christianity is. I'm telling you what following me is. It's going to, it's going to cost you everything. You're going, to, you're going to surrender your life. You're going to put your soul, it, you know, it just in, to bear upon Christ. Now, it's life. It's eternity. It's salvation. But there's no question of what this is going to look like. And there's no like, well, can, you know, can I just kind of take it easy? I mean, Christianity rightly lived could never be like a hobby, that you're kind of just doing it on the side that it's some kind of tangent of your life. I mean, Jesus says, hey, if you don't want to do this, hey, figure it out before you even start. I mean, I'm telling you what it's going to cost you. I'm telling you that if you want to be a follower of me, then it has to be more important than anything else. It has to be more important than your family, more important than than your kids, more important than your wife. It's going to to be more important than your stuff. It's going to have to be more important than everything. If you don't want to do it, then count that cost now. I mean, count that cost now, and then he just locks it down and says, so likewise, verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I mean, if you're not going to be all in, you're not going to be able to do it. So much to say, but if you've been able to track, I want to tell you, he's not saying this in some kind of cruel way. He's not saying this in some way that is asking for more than is needed. It's the very thing that what he just talked about by the danger of, of, of those who make excuses, uh, of why so many people miss the gospel, why so many people, by the Jews who should have believed didn't. He says, because they, this is not where they are. And he says, I'm telling you, if you guys want to come after me, this is what it's going to be. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. There's no, hey, that's, this is only the way for exceptional Christians. He says, you're not going to be able to do it. So whoever you does not forsake all that he has you can't be my disciple or my follower you, you, you're not going to be able to do this you're not going to be able to to be able to make this journey It's this call this radical call to say okay this call is in that sense that we would be those who would recognize that there is a need to be all in that this whole place that, that he's calling us to would invite us to say okay I, I get it like that's that's what God is asking for no Maybe you get it. Maybe I'm saying something here this evening, and you're like, of course, Jim. I mean, that's the decision I've already made. You know, we're going to close in just a little bit. We're going to sing that hymn. You know, I've decided to follow Jesus. And, you know, kind of that place of like, hey, I, you know, no turning back. I mean, even if nobody goes with me, I'm in. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you've been able to say, hey, I'm in. Like, I'm, like, no matter what comes in this way, no matter what comes in the world, I'm there. Right. Or but maybe you're here this evening, and... Maybe you're not saved, or maybe you're kind of living in this space where it's not where it ought to be, and maybe this is kind of part of the issue. Maybe so many things. It's really a space that God's not actually first in your life. That He's not actually, okay, well, this takes precedence above everything else. I mean, following Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, you know, putting Him above everything else, there's no place that I would come to Him and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to come with you, but I bought some oxen, (laughs) I got a new car. You know, so got this new car, so I'm not really interested in following you right now. No, I got a new house, or I got a new, new space, or I got a new job, or I just got married. None of those things would ever get in the way of saying, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. In fact, that's maybe what he's going into next. Interesting enough, he just takes the illustration. He says it this way in verse 34. Hey, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but is meant to be thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The connection here would seem to be the idea of, hey, are you salty? We're the salt of the earth. We're meant to be those who, by our very nature, are followers of Jesus. He says, Don't lose it. Don't, Don't lose that saltiness. You know, if you if a salt loses its flavor, how would you season it? And the idea is, again, in this sense, are you following? Don't stop. I mean, if we're talking about this idea of being all in for Jesus, maybe one of the dangers is that's where you were. But is it where you are? And the danger is salt of just that, 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 that distinctive nature of who we are being compromised. Now, for anybody that knows just a little bit about that, salt's an interesting thing. Salt actually can't lose its flavor. I mean, salt by its very self, it's it's a base element. There's no way that salt can't be salty unless it's compromised. The only way to make salt not salty is to mix it with something else. To, To take that which was meant to be fully distinctive and fully there now being kind of a a mixture of other things. And so that's probably what Jesus is driving at. And so he says, if you're listening to this, hey, make sure you hear this. I mean, this idea of being all in for Jesus is not just how we begin the journey, it's how we stay on the journey. And, And in that sense of saying, hey, I just want to say, God, you're first. I mean, whatever that looks like, wherever this goes, hey, that's exactly what I'm longing for. So put it together. I think in the through this whole conversation that Jesus has and In many ways, they're diving into deep things that are talking about where we are. He talked to these who are missing it, who are just kind of the outside looking in, critical, prideful, all about appearances. And he says, you've just made excuses and you're missing everything. I hope that's not you this evening. If it is, God would rescue you. But maybe you're on the other side of that and you're in a place that you get it. Maybe God's seeking to work that. I'm just telling you, he's inviting you to this place that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You would be all in. That's not just a brand of Christianity. That's not just exceptional Christianity. That's real Christianity. The kind of place where you say, okay, God, you're, you, you're above everything else in my life. And if that's not where you are, I invite you to it this evening. But if it is where you are, don't lose it. The danger is that for some of us, we might be in that space like, yeah, I'm all in for Jesus, and then. I don't know. The world begins to happen. Compromises begin to happen, begin to, to mix in, begin to lose that distinction. He's calling us away from that because that would cause us to miss everything he has for us. And he's inviting us away from this. And I find myself just thinking of everything Jesus has said here in this, in this chapter. In one sense, it's just so solidly true. And I, I was thinking of a quote that Jesus shares with Pilate. And you know, Pilate's asking him if you're a king. And he says, you know, you rightly say that I'm a king for this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He says, I am a king, but I'm a king of truth. I'm a king that is bringing into the truth. And if every, I've come to tell people the truth about what this is. And one of the amazing things is Jesus has done that. He's done that in this chapter to observers. He's done that to followers. He hasn't buttered them up. He hasn't played loose with anything. He's told them exactly where they are. He's told them exactly what they need. But I like the way Jesus says it. He says, if you're of the truth, then you'll hear it. He says, whoever who is of the truth, then they hear that and and it just draws them into that. That there's a sense that we are to be those that say, okay, yeah, this is true. I mean, this is what... This is the the issues. This is where it is, and there's this place of of saying, okay, we want to be those who who are truly moving into that. And I say it this way: I love Jesus. I love that He tells us the truth. There's no, He's not He's not a salesman who kind of you know oversells or or kind of just gets you in the door and then you know kind of has the the fine print coming behind the scenes, like well, oh, yeah, I didn't. He's like, I'll tell you the truth. You want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. You want, you want to be in, you're going to have to bear, bear your cross. There's no easy way around this. You don't want to play, then don't play. You count the cost, don't don't come. But if you want to come, then it's worth coming. And I, and I have to believe that if you're of the truth, you hear that, and either it's inviting you into that, or it's strengthening you in that. That it's causing us to say, yeah, that's exactly the deal. In a world that's so marked by falseness, in a world that is so often, you know, not speaking truth, one of the amazing things is how incredibly truthful Jesus is, how he speaks it to us and calls us to it. And so in that, I call you to it tonight. I call you to hear his voice and to be those who, well, maybe the key in the midst of all this is being all in. Like, okay, I'm in. Like, I, 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 I'm totally wanting this, Jesus. I, you're above everything else. And I want to follow. And I want to I be your follower. I want to walk in the path that you have for me. And I'm telling you, that's the path of life. That's the path of salvation. That's the path of eternity. It's the path of Jesus. I long that you either enter that road tonight or be strengthened on that path tonight. So with that in mind, we can close our Bibles, our notebooks, and let's just take a moment and ask God for that. Let's just ask that he would bring us to be those who are fully in, that we would be in a space where in the midst of all of this, that God would would, would invite us into it. So one more time. Where are you in relation to that? If Jesus is saying, hey, this is the way, like this is the, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets in any other way. This is the path. Could you be this evening in this room or online right now on the outside looking in? It's a dangerous place to be because not only do you miss it, but maybe through excuses not entering, I'm inviting you fully in. I'm inviting you to to say, yeah, you know, here I am, you know, Jesus, you know, I want to follow you. I've decided I want to, I want to fully be in this space and following you. I invite you to that. And if you have questions, by all means, reach out to us on that. Maybe your life is kind of meandering right now, and that's part of the issue. Maybe you're his, but somehow other things are taking precedence, and you find yourself confused, and, and you're recognizing this really is the issue. God is not first. And that's what's got your life in a mess. Uh, Jesus said that we can only have one master, that the way that God designed you is the ability that you can only have one. And so there's a need to say, okay, God, I want you to be first. I want that to be more important than anything else, just longing for that, asking for it. And if that has not happened for you, then I invite you into a space that tonight you would be able to say, okay, I'm in. I want to be all in. But one last time, Maybe, again, you're on the outside. Maybe you're needing to enter. But I know I'm speaking to some of you who you could say what I've been trying to say, and maybe you could even say it better. And you're like, I, I know this. I figured this out. Like real, the, the, This real following Jesus, it's, it's, it's this whole place of being entirely in. And that's a space where you are. But Jesus just closes it and says, don't lose that. Your are salt. Don't lose it. Don't, don't, don't compromise that. Don't, don't allow something else to get in there that would mess up this place of full surrender to Jesus because that would rob you. It would rob you of God. It would rob you of what he has. And so there's a sense of saying, okay, that's where we need to be. So let's pray for that right now. Jesus, I thank you for being truth. You are the way. You are the truth. And you are the life. Thank you for speaking truth. Imagine this chapter, and imagine just in one sense, maybe how hard it might have been to hear some of these things. But how good! You you tell us the truth to our face. You speak to us. You tell us what life is, and how to live it. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us with such honesty, such integrity, and such truth. God, I pray for those right now who are outside of this, who are like the Pharisees on the outside watching, critically, maybe, excuses. God, would you rescue? God, would you show them? Would you show anybody that's in that space right now why they're on the outside looking in? The excuses that they're buying into, would you rescue them now? Would you draw them in? I'm asking for that, that they would be those who would be compelled and invited to come in, to come into the table, to come to to partake of you and all that you have for them. God, would you rescue right now? And God, speak to those those of us who are yours, that we'd literally be all in on this journey. Fix it if that's not there right now. Help us to, to take up our cross and follow you daily. Help us to put you first constantly, in everything and over everything. God, thank you that that's the invitation. Thank you that that's the life. And where that salt is found, where that integrity of true life is found here this evening, would you help us not to compromise it? Draw us in so that we would be fully in with you, that we would follow you all the days of our life. God, would you just refresh that, strengthen us, draw that to us in all of our lives right now. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen.